0: holics out there and welcome back to Peanut Butter and Biscuits, your Ted Lasso fan cast from the Front Row Network on NPR Illinois. I'm Jeremy Geckner, and here with me as always, my intrepid co-host, Mr. Craig McFarland. What's up, man?
1: So now we just have to be and biscuits for now because that's know. all that's introduced in this episode. There's no peanut butter yet. Yeah. So we're just and biscuits from NPR Illinois. I really should have done that. I've <laughs> just been
0: like, welcome to... And biscuits. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll cut that in on an edit later. Um, no, but you're right. Um, so, yeah, so we are continuing our season one rewatch since we got came to you guys on season two. Uh, Jeremy, and, it's yeah. a
1: r- 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 rewind. Rewind. <laughs> I'm going to make you do that. So you got to go r- 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 rewind. R- 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 rewind. Rewind. <laughs>
0: if you okay. heard the sound like effect it. everyone well that was it uh, well done so um <laughs> fun part about this though is that um i do like the last time we put in like the big spoiler warning uh sound effect too
1: um that was wonderful i wasn't expecting you to do that and so i was going back and listening to the episode um because yes i'm a narcissist apparently sure. and i yeah. want to make sure that i listened to back to hey, the episode and football i players that, and gotta I watch like, the game tape. incredible
0: <laughs> yeah football players we gotta watch game tape man we gotta we gotta see how we can get better uh, <laughs> but yeah i did like uh i don't like many of the things i do but i like that one um but so i mean i i guess it's a, a good a time as any but uh we gotta do some housekeeping first people because we are about to break down C- episode two of season one biscuits um but before that as always we got some housekeeping to do so craig what's in our housekeeping docket for this episode
1: Well, Jeremy, we became a legitimate podcast this week. I am happy to say that we received our first one-star review on Apple Podcasts with no additional commentary. Yeah! Cue the DJ Khaled (laughs) Air We had our first review bomb and uh, we are here for it. So thank you to whoever that was. Uh, Also, thank you. We did get a a couple more other reviews as well. And uh, we really do appreciate those reviews. They help us out and they help us continue to grow. So if you can take a moment, especially if you're listening on Apple to pause us and go and rate us, um uh, maybe even you know we love the one star <laughs> reviews as well uh, love just give it. us some comments give us some uh constructive criticism that exactly. we can go back to
0: in the words of flight of the concords guy be more constructive with your feedback come on man <laughs> I, need some, <laughs> I, need some, I need some stuff to improve on um no it is funny though i mean like the the one thing you can always tell people when you're getting into podcasting is there's going to be somebody who absolutely hates everything you do and that's how you know you've arrived um, so i want to say thank you you through whoever this individual is you've affirmed my love for doing this show <laughs> as if being a ted lasso podcast didn't do that enough already but um all right so we are about to do it guys we're gonna jump in here
1: well one do we have one do more have bit one other piece of housekeeping and that is that that we have very smart listeners and so um uh, maria actually messaged us and oh, emailed yeah, yeah. us And she said, uh, love the podcast. And she was watching to a YouTube video of Hannah Waddingham uh, in an interview that she had done. And that God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols is intentionally what opens up to the zooming in on her face in episode one. So they really, as they do throughout this series, they pick. The absolute perfect music to go along with what they wanted and you know uh, the music is something that as far as licensing is concerned can cost thousands tens and thousands of dollars just to put one song into uh, a show or a movie and so apple's really spent some money to put music into this show especially in that second season holy moly some of the songs that they played I would have loved to just see their budget line just for the music licensing of this show.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it would have made everyone sick. Um, but you're right, though. But, hey, you know, Apple owns all that music already, right? You got to pay uh, 10 bucks a month for it on your iPhone. So <laughs> shout out to our Apple overlords. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I, I did love that, though, um, reading that because it is a great – Little bit of uh, little bit of of, of information there to give us more context about Rebecca. And uh, speaking of Rebecca, she plays a big part in episode two. Biscuits here. Why don't we jump right into it? But of course, first, spoiler warning, kids. That's right, we're about to spoil everything if you haven't watched episode two of season one of Ted Lasco, Lasso uh, named Biscuits. So you've been warned.
1: Uh, what do you say we dive right in here, Craig? Let's do it. And I should note that that spoiler warning also goes for the fact that uh, if you haven't seen season two, likely we will allude to season two because we're doing this <laughs> in completely in reverse yeah. because we aren't very good at organizing our thoughts and getting a season one podcast to you in the right order. Yeah, exactly. So here we are.
0: It's going to be funny. I think we should maybe like like mess around with the way this is organized on the podcast feed and just like start putting these before all the season two ones and then everybody's confused. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we might do that. Um, but let's get into this here because I love this episode. Um, so many great traditions in Ted Lasso uh, start in this episode here. Um, but we open up uh, on our intrepid main character here, Ted, um, after kind of a downer ending to the first episode where he was on the phone with his wife um, and now we get sort of like this fish out of water thing happening here where we really do get to see kind of the cultural divide that Ted has to deal with here um, waking up at uh, the jet lag thing and adjusting to a new time zone um, and then I just love this and I haven't researched to see if this is real but just this cereal with this one gigantic mini wheat <laughs> is all I can say what it is um, it looks like a frosted mini wheat but it's absolutely huge um, and everything like that but I love uh, also though as he He uh, goes outside and Coach Beard meets him, uh, asking him about coffee and stuff. We do see um, these kids that are playing football um, before they go to school, I'm assuming, uh, in their school uniforms and stuff. And I love this because I think it shows – How much football means to this society and that it is just kind of ingrained in there that they're always playing it even when they can only find five minutes of it. And I love that Ted has this great appreciation for it, even though he's not a part of that culture just quite yet. So um, before we get to the stadium, Craig, what did you think of the opening of this episode here?
1: Well, what I'll say is definitely the cereal. We have listeners in the UK and in Ireland. So please email us at yeah. Front Row Lasso. Let us know uh, if this is what real. What the heck is going on with <laughs> that cereal? How do you go about, like, do you dip it in milk? Like, yeah. I don't understand, like, how you, it
0: looks like a burrito, right? It really does. We're, we're fascinated. We are, we ignorant Americans need to learn, man. So, uh, you know, give us a shout out and tell us, is this a real cereal? Because I have my
1: doubts. <laughs> Maybe we should go to, like, Shredded Wheats and Biscuits. I don't know. Hey, Maybe we can change go. the name. But, <laughs> no, fascinated by that. So definitely let us know. Um, but I love that, you know, like, uh, everything's walkable on this street. It's really funny that they're getting coffee. And uh, it only takes, like, a second to get to where he can uh, drink some coffee. And then I do love his interaction with seeing the kids uh, playing soccer because I think what – people might be assuming about Ted Lasso at this point, when he's coming over from the U S is maybe he just took this job for money. I think that they think of him in all these negative ways, the perception from the fan base, how would we think about if we were fans of this team, you know, you and I are fans of the green Bay Packers, right? If the green Bay Packers did this in reverse, And hired essentially someone that had been teaching football, uh, English football at say some college or lower level league, and then had no idea about American football and that's who they put in charge. We would automatically have really strong feelings about how dumb of an idea this is (laughs) and what is the motivation of that person coming over to um, coach this team. And so I can completely understand that there are lots of negative emotions and negative thoughts, especially after that press conference that happens in season one, episode one. Uh, and so I think that it's great to see him connect to these fans yeah. and uh, understand how much this means to us. And of course, this is a great allusion to the fact that uh, the, a group of kids are basically what keeps Sam with us. Uh, In the Premier League, um, as we move forward into season three, because it's the same kind of like watching the the kids play soccer and seeing how that impacts them and how the impact that that has not only on Ted in this scene in season one, but also in Sam uh, in our finale for season two as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I I love what you what you said there. It would be kind of like uh, I don't know, like Gareth Southgate or something coming over to coach the Packers. Yeah, we do we'd all have some uh, some thoughts on that. Um, but you're right though, and it does it does speak to Ted's personality too. He wants to connect with things. Um, you know, it's not just a. A, an inroad to kind of like manipulate anyone. He genuinely wants to connect to things. And so I do love that we get just that little bit of time to connect to that neighborhood um, like that. But uh, we are then going down to the stadium. Um, and the first thing we see is Rebecca Googling uh, Rupert Manion. Um And a few interesting options come there about his net worth and his divorce and his mistresses and stuff like that. Um, but I just found that interesting because it's like for the most part in the first half of this whole season, Rebecca is very defined still by her relationship to Rupert. Um, and most of what she does and the decisions she makes is still influenced by that hurt um, of that divorce and of those uh, that betrayal and stuff. But, um, of course, though, this is the first appearance of the Biscuits. Yeah, baby. Biscuits with the boss is here and a podcast name is born. Um, this is this is great, though, because uh, it, it is just so. It's impossible not to be charmed by Ted. Um, you know, he just he just is a bulldozer of charm that just comes in here. And he's like, not going to take no uh, for an answer here. Um, and I just love this interaction, though, because Rebecca continues to try to not give into it. But the biscuits just win her over. You know, you just can't resist him here. Um, and even when she's trying to say, don't do this again, he's just like, nope, going to do it. <laughs> and I just kind of love that about him. What do you think of this scene here with uh, Rebecca and Ted?
1: Oh, my goodness. So I still host the Disney show. And so I always have in my head that if I go explicit, I need to forewarn people. So I always do that. <laughs> but her reaction when she first takes that bite and she just goes, fuck me. <laughs> yeah. like, and then Sudeikis's, uh facial reaction to that was just like kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> what's going on here? Um, it is just absolutely stunning how well acted that was and how funny it is to go back and watch that first reaction to biscuits and of course uh he starts to do this every single day and we still see that box we see that pink box all the time on her desk yeah so it might not be referenced like you said you you uh said it perfectly at the start of this that this sets up so many traditions for us Mm. that will continue to come up this is like the when a lot of different Easter eggs come up and they pay off in the second season or in the latter part of the first season. Yeah. The genesis of a lot of those things are right here. We're going to talk about the army men in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, We, talk about uh, Sam and his connection to Nigeria in this episode. We have so much, and I know I'm, I'm jumping the gun on you, but there are so many uh, <laughs> traditions and things that will be referenced later that come up in this episode.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you're right. Hannah is just, again, throughout this episode, it's just so apparent why this show works is because these actors are so fantastic at just making us want to like them. Uh, even Hannah, when she's in this evil phase here, um you know you just can't help but be charmed by rebecca um especially as keely tells us later in the episode but um let's cut to the field though and we get our first little bit of kind of on the field coaching that ted gets to partake in um in the series and i don't know if you noticed this in your rewatch uh craig but holy crap the panic attack hands are there in this
1: second episode I never noticed it before. Me neither. I, I never noticed that they zoom in on his hands. Um, that is something that was just always lost to me. And you know what? I'll tell you, I, I didn't know when to bring this up, but since uh, you brought that point up, I am trying to strategically and kind of force myself to take this at a weekly episode viewing yeah that's something i've never done before with season one season one i have always binged right through every rewatch that i did every time the first time that i saw it and so it's cool to be able to notice some of these things that are building over time and it just helps you appreciate the writing that much more that Mm -hmm. of course they establish the panic attacks not only in the pilot episode but they also have them going on right here it's just that they're not um completely spotlighted until we get later in the season in the episode, uh, make Rebecca great again. Like it's just so amazing what Mm -hmm. they're doing here.
0: Yeah, no, this is, I mean, like, You're right, because episode one, we get the tinnitus in the ears during the press conference, and now, and you know, I think it's easy to dismiss this, even if you did notice it the first time, as just nerves. He's on the field, on the pitch for the first time, he has to coach for the first time, and he's nervous, and of course, Beard gives him that great quote about what he, Ted, told Beard when they were coaching at Wichita State, It was like, don't worry, like they're just kids and everything, so you could say it's just a nervous thing, but yes, like now with the benefit of hindsight, it's amazing the long game that they're playing, even in episode one and two, of this series, and it's absolutely phenomenal here. But I really, really love this stuff on the field here. It's very interesting to see the on-field dynamic between Roy and Jamie and Sam, uh, particularly. Um, I do love that Ted calls the drill uh, The Exorcist because it's all about possession. Um, Again, just some of that natural charm coming out here. But, um, you know, this is, though, the very first time we see how good Jamie is on the field. We see how much Sam is struggling as he's come over here. Um, But we also see... A great example here of how Jamie's very toxic on the field, Um, you know, because... I'm sure in sports, you know, I haven't played for a long time, but I, you know, I I know that there is some ribbing that goes along, uh, you know, goes about on teammates. So when he, you know, totally crosses up Sam and it turns into, you know, this like, oh, this is where Sam died right here on this spot. That could always be like some kind of like just little rib thing, like, oh, come on, get better. But the fact that Roy immediately comes over and pushes Jamie away and tries to comfort Sam in that, that shows you right there. That, like, this isn't some innocent team ribbing. This is Jamie being actually pretty toxic. And it informs a lot of what else Jamie does in this episode and what we're going to think of him. Um, but also, the most famous part of this is the goldfish quote to Sam after he misses this play, which is, of course, our sign off. And I'm going to save the whole thing for Tedisms. But I will say, it's great coaching. It's great coaching by Ted here. um, And it's very charming. And I love that Sam doesn't quite get it, but he still ends up with just like, yeah, you got it. And everything and sends him on his way. So Craig, open perspective here. What do you think of our first time on the pitch?
1: It's so nice to establish all these characters that we're just coming to learn. Clearly we get a lot of Jamie is selfish in the uh, first bit of the pilot, but I think that there's differences between even public perception and then also how you are behind, kind of in that locker room with the team. And this is showing you that there's really no change in Jamie's attitude. He still thinks he's uh, God's gift to football and that's just how it's going to be. And so I can see how that would wear on your teammates. If you have to deal with that day in and day out. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I do think it's interesting to see Sam in a place where he's less confident in himself because of course he has this ascension really in season two enough to where he becomes uh, a public figure in so many different ways and so many different aspects of the show but here he is still kind of learning what he's doing here missing home uh, and I love that connection that Ted makes with him right away and it starts to build the character of Sam just ever so much for us to start to get a glimpse into what that character will become.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, so out of this, though, we go to um, the locker room, where uh, Ted is going to start his cohesive team-building uh, philosophy, in a way, by doing a very simple suggestion box here, um, and I love that he gets uh, Nate to, um, you know, make this box uh, with his niece and everything, and he shows so much appreciation for it, um, but what I do love about this whole scene, though, uh, I called you Ted, Craig, uh, what I do love I'm okay with that. Yeah, you're okay with that, definitely, <laughs> (laughs) But what I love about this scene is that It's Ted's way to win over the team is very simple. It's just like, what are these little comforts that you don't have that you wish you had? And it's just little things like that. And it's so um, again, all this charm because even when Roy tries to like crap all over this idea, you know, he's just kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm going to do this and he can't even say a comeback. You know, he just walks away (laughs) because it's just like, God, is this guy really for real here? Um, And I do love that it also kind of initially breaks down Jamie's like, like. uh, asshole persona because you know when he's just like talking about the snacks and he just walks by him he's just like they are not good and he just walks away it's like a one moment of just like oh there's there's a fun guy there and i knew in that moment when i first watched the show i was like i'm gonna like this character even though he's an asshole i'm gonna like this guy because the way he just <laughs> says he's just like they're not and just walks away really really got me here real quick gig have anything else on this uh, suggestion box scene.
1: I love that. Uh, I love the idea of a suggestion box. I think it's just funny, right? I mean, like here are pro players, and you give them a suggestion box too. And I, I've been in an office setting where um, I there was like a suggestion box added because the supervisor felt like that would cure all of our ills, right? And so I've been on the other end of that, where you're like. Oh God! Are you serious right I'm now? Soon like bad, buddy. you're doing an Ask Lisa boss uh, box. Sorry to my uh, old coworker or my old manager, Lisa. Um, Bring it here. But it's like, why don't if I wanna if I wanna give you my suggestions, why don't you just listen to me? But I do understand uh, the anonymity sometime will bring out a more real reaction to that. So I do appreciate what Ted is doing here. And, of course, it pays off for the players as well because they're going to get some pressure in the shower.
0: All right. So, uh, Craig, we are now getting into one of my favorite interactions in the entire series of Ted Lasso. It's time, everyone, for the famed lion versus panda debate, and the scene cannot be better in any possible way. Um, First of all, I love how it starts. I love the door holding thing, the little bit there, because who hasn't been in that scenario where you're holding the door for somebody? And it's just way too far away. You shouldn't be doing it. (laughs) But this is great because um, it is our first kind of interaction of Keely and Rebecca, um, which will of course become a very great friendship. Um, But Keely poses the question, right? there about lion or panda and uh, we have some great interactions here about which one of course Rebecca wants to be a lion Ted wants to be a panda asks if he can be an elephant no way Um, which is just uh, just real quick Greg what are your thoughts about this because I'm gonna use Hannah's line for a tedism but I love this interaction so much
1: it's so great right because like it starts to establish these characters and like as really opposites on the spectrum ted is your panda of course and rebecca is the lion Mm -hmm. and uh it pays off in such a great way when actually it's one of my favorite lines of season two right when keely looks crying to rebecca and just says you turn this panda into a lion Mm -hmm. and it just um it's It's great. Everything about this scene, again, is well acted as well as just well written. They do uh, such a good job of helping you dive into these characters right away from the jump. You're really starting to care about who these people are and the relationships that they're already starting to build within the club. And that's what I really enjoy about these little bits and these little almost like sketches that we get uh, while we're moving through this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, It's this weird thing where like. We know we're supposed to not like Rebecca because she's playing this gambit and this this con on Ted, basically, who is just way too likable. But she has these little moments of breaking down the veneer. You know, like where Ted is talking about how much he likes pandas and everything, and she just can't help it. She can't, she can't leave it alone and just go on her way. She has to comment, and it's because she is a likable person. She is a good person, which, of course, Sassy will tell us in Episode 7. But um, I, I just love this scene so much. But then we go to May's pub, and this is really, I think, kind of the first time we get a good sense of May um, here. I can't remember if she says a line in the first episode or not. I think she does, but this is great where she's actually giving advice to Ted and Beard as they're going through the, the uh, suggestions box and pretty much everything is just wanker wanker. And then I do love that there's a slip of paper where he's like I'm not going to say that out loud. <laughs> I really want to know what was on that paper. Um, but also I just love when <laughs> he's talking about like uh, somebody said something about like I hope you choke on a Big Mac <laughs> and he said like Beard says oh I'm glad these are anonymous and he's just like oh no Roy signed that one and Beard's reaction
1: is just like Roy. <laughs> it's so freaking great. It just, I love how you can't even get through talking about it. I know. Uh, it's it's so <laughs> Brendan great Heim, to man. Brendan Hunt uh, forever. <laughs> yeah, it it just establishes uh crown and anchor as such a great place for ted yeah. and for beard to have these interactions as they go along as well and i love the payoff of the suggestion box is just perfect when mm-hmm. uh they're reading through all of this because yeah. i mean everybody's writing wanker but like you think you could be a little bit more original that's why i like roy kent because he's got yeah. the originality he brings the originality Big to yeah, it. That's,
0: that's pretty good which also jives with his first insult from the first season calling him ronald mcdonald which is great um, so he, like he's a oh god he's I har- didn't even think about he's that, harping on Jeremy. a theme man <laughs> I didn't even think about it well done he's well harping done, on a friend. theme there but you're right though there is a great power because the one suggestion that's in there is about the water pressure and of course it seems like such a throwaway thing whenever when the comedy is that he keeps getting called a wanker but then you're right that's the big payoff at the end that builds trust in the team like oh he fixed the shower and you know like that's that's pretty amazing there so I do absolutely love that um I also do love though the camaraderie that we get between Beard and Ted here and I know we kind of established it in the first episode but man it's so great especially when they're walking along um and you know they're doing their whole wordplay thing about boot um and everything like that and how many words or how many things mean are are called boot over in england um and I just love it um, that that you can just really tell there's this strong uh, bond between these two. Um, but then we get another um, box of sorts as they're going to collect money for Sam's party in the locker room. Um, and this was great because it's got a face on. I love Jason's reaction. He's just like, it's got a face. He just yells it out loud. I can't imagine any of those guys in the locker room weren't cracking up off, off camera there. Um, but, man, this is, this is really like I, what I love about Phil Dunster and Jamie's character in this – he progressively gets meaner and meaner as the episode goes on. Um, you know, like I said, that interaction with Sam on the field, you can say, oh, that's just teammate ribbing. Um, you know, uh, the, the interactions with... Um with uh you know everything else uh with the box and everything you you know you could say like oh he's kind of an ass but whatever he's kind of lovable now he's just getting very mean he's putting the gum in the box he's you know making the jack off sign to to ted as he turns his back um it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse yeah it's you're right childish and i do also love that like I, i told you when we were watching this i'm looking for those moments with nate to see like where all these seeds are planted and you can tell here that there's already been a lot of stuff that's beat him down with Jamie and that this is something where now he can't even react to it. It's just, Oh, they're very, very thoughtful of you, Jamie. Um, And I, I don't know. I just really like that. It's weird to say I like this, but I like that there's a reason and a purpose for it. It's like Jamie can't hold back his true sinister nature anymore. um, The more this episode goes
1: on. I completely agree. And uh, he's coming across as just such a horrible person. And, And truly like we get two villains, out of this episode, yeah. right? We get Jamie and we get Rebecca as the second villain and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But they're doing a really good job of just painting this juxtaposition of this is what Lasso is about. This is how this is his coaching style. It's very uh there's a lot of affirmation in it. There is a lot of positivity. Uh there's a lot of reinforcement of all that positivity along with the players and all the way to the top in the front office. Um but Jamie is not going to buy into this. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing that conflict right away. Yeah. Even more so than with Roy, because uh, Jamie seems like a completely lost cause. Roy, at least in the beginning in the press conference, he's the, he's the one saying, if I don't hear silence, I'm going to punch you in the dick. Punch uh, dicks, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> he's the one saying like, he's trying to get people to listen to the coach because he respects that position, mm. right? Jamie has no respect for authority Mm -hmm. or for that position. And so what do you do with that? How do you manage that? Right. Mm -hmm. We've all been in that situation where we're trying to, or maybe most of us have been in a situation where we're trying to lead a team. And there's that one naysayer who not only are they not productively producing anything towards the uh, betterment of the team, but they're actually actively working against it Mm -hmm. because they're just showing no respect at all. And uh, that person is tough to deal with mm. so we're already setting up this uh kind of blow up that we might get later and we know that we're going to get later in season 1 mm. uh, especially when ted just says listen this isn't the team for you yeah. and that move that's going to happen later on
0: yeah absolutely and um it does of course there's one more instance of this but we'll get to it in a second here um but that does of course lead him to um you know and the fact that ted sees his insult to him in the mirror um unbeknownst to jamie um is going to lead ted to want to seek out the advice of Keeley and rebecca um about how to deal with this um but first i really do have to call out um this press conference the second press conference here where ted is kind of starting to win over the press just a little bit i think with just kind of his non-stop like i'm i'm gonna answer all your questions and i'm not gonna dodge any of them um but this is where we get a great bit of acting here from hannah um because of the um i'm assuming if i remember right the sun isn't is i think it's a real newspaper in london but it's definitely it is it's a tabloid of sorts
1: um if i remember right so but, yeah i believe isn't the sun the murdoch paper is that the murdoch that, one uh, i mean it would make sense in a ton of I, like all again we were like us pitiful Americans uh, yeah, I need know. to rely on their UK <laughs> listeners, but I believe that the Sun is the tabloid that got in trouble for all of these spying. Was that the News of the World stuff? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I believe so,
0: so, um, but this one they do ask about Rupert's latest, uh, you know, uh, woman who has come forward, and and he, you know, talks about how you know it was happening under Rebecca's nose and stuff, and she gives this really great dodge about you know like oh I didn't know men could multitask and everything, and I this gives so much depth to her character in such a short amount of time because she has this look of, I don't want to say panic, but you can tell there's a lot of hurt there that this is coming out again, but she dodges it so perfectly and, you know, getting back into the, the office and seeing Ted coming to her rescue, trying to, you know, like comfort her in this moment, I think is what really is breaking her down. And I love the way when he asks about like a food that comforts her, she looks at those biscuits and just says no and everything. Like it's a really great amount of acting by Hannah and just these two little scenes here.
1: Yeah, this whole, uh, this whole episode is a great tour de force by her showing a building of that character and really painting it in a very evil light, because then what we are able to do is us as an audience, we go on this ride with her right mm-hmm. at right now, not being able to, like, if we're coming into this clear eyed, uh, well, Apple did release the first three, first episodes. Three, yeah. we should mention that. Um, so really we have to look at this as like a three episode arc, um, but if we are still kind of coming cling to this and we don't know which way Rebecca Welton's going to go right now, they're establishing her in a way that paints her as the villain of this show, especially with um, we know that she brought over Ted because of the whole major league dynamic. She's trying to crush the the team. Uh, And then now she's going to start actively planning ways to be able to do that. And so we don't know about the redemption that's going to start to happen at the end of season one and really truly be uh, full redemption by season two, where we all love her. And there's like 25 million Hannah Waddingham Stan Twitter accounts that uh, (laughs) are out there because people love this character, but we don't know that's the direction it's going to go. And I think that we love her more later because of the way that she sets up the character through this acting in the beginning, a couple of episodes.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, from here, Ted goes and seeks out the advice of, uh, of um, Keely. Why why did I almost forget her name? Um, Of Keely here. um, Of course, Jamie's girlfriend um, at Rebecca's insistence. So you can already see Rebecca's wheels turning here, trying to set up Ted as a wedge between Jamie and and Keely um, to kind of disrupt the team. Um, But I, what i found so amazing it's like it's just amazing how charming juno temple is right off the bat um we get a little taste of her in episode one and now we've getting we're getting a lot more stuff with her and she's just so effortlessly charming in this role and she just looks like somebody you'd want to have a bunch of fun with here um, and i just love that about the scene it's really all i gotta say about it i do like it
1: it'd be fun to go back and like ask the chief writers like if we could sit down with jason sudeikis first of all let me put out there. Yes. Jason Sedakis. Come on, man. If ever you've listened (laughs) to our show and you want to come on to the show, uh, literally I will meet you at any time in any place. True. You name the time and I will bring the zoom. Okay. But uh, that aside, what I will say is I, I think it'd be interesting to see if initially in the plan, how big of a role Keeley was supposed to play. Yeah. Because I know that uh, Bill Lawrence has said that they had a three episode or th- three season arc in mind when they started to plan this out, much like many great written shows do. They had a storyline in place. But I do wonder if it was the fan reaction to keely that had her play such an instrumental role might have been season two we have we have examples of that all throughout television where a character is supposed to either be killed or to not return for a season (laughs) but the fan reaction is so strong that that character continues on and honestly like people loved keely i mean she's great right
0: yeah no she's absolutely great and Again, Gino Temple is a really, really phenomenal actress. She's done a lot of amazing work, um, but she really just seems to get to flex her natural acting muscles in this show, you know, because she is funny and she is very, you know, like I said, charming in in this role. And I think I I agree with you there. I would like to know um, if that was part of the plan because she is just definitely one of the bright spots of many bright spots in this show. Um, But let's get to game day here. It is time to play Crystal Palace. And uh, I really love this scene because. When they bring in Sam's birthday surprise, man, like that team building atmosphere there, it's just infectious. You know, like you get the sense that like nobody likes Ted and that there'd be all this animosity here. But like the second he says, just like it's Sam's birthday, like all of them are just cheering and everybody's just really happy for him. And I just thought to myself, like. Man, I don't know if this is just the first instance we're supposed to think of Ted's camaraderie building working, but it's just great. It's just great to see these guys just celebrating Sam here. Um, But the other part of that is that I'm really like all of a sudden, and I noticed at this time, Ted is having this personal moment with Sam. And he's talking about they're talking about uh, Sam's father and, you know, kind of Ted's son and what he does and like that. And Jamie has this line of just like, give me a break here. And you can just tell there is so much disdain in his voice for this little interaction. And now knowing what we know, (laughs) with the benefit of hindsight again, like I would love to think that they knew all this coming into it, but like, even if they didn't, man, Phil is playing so great because again, this is the ultimate ramp up. Sam's having this genuine moment of, of fun and feeling like he's got a home here finally. And Jamie has to crap all over it because it's bringing up his father issues. And I just think that that is a really, really amazing moment in the midst of all this happiness.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, Phil Dunster is bringing again the same level that I was just talking about with Hannah Waddingham. The, the he's doing it in such a way that allows you to really start to despise Jamie. Mm. And again, that's those villains are who we love to see redeemed the most in these types of shows.
0: Yep absolutely um well the game doesn't go so well (laughs) the match doesn't go so well uh they lose uh four to one to crystal palace i love
1: can we talk about like okay so i love the arlo white of it all i know these Um, guys are hilarious guiding us through he's first of all he's like he's establishing some things here he's like the fans here called us the dog track you know like he's like saying like all the things to set us up and then he's like and the game is on. Here they go. And there they went. And <laughs> the game is over. Yep. <laughs> it's like it's so
0: a great, great It's a great way <laughs> to subvert our expectations because we're expecting, like, a big soccer <laughs> sequence, you know, like a big football sequence well, here. And now and it's we're like, like,
1: we're enough Ted Lasso fans that we know we're never going to get the big soccer sequence, right? right. Well, we might <laughs> in know? season three. Um, that
0: might be finally where they <laughs> give it to us. But I, I do, though, you're right, though. I can't remember the other guy's name aside from Arlo White, but they
1: ask him. Isn't it Paul something? Paul something,
0: but he, like... He he asks him like if he would have uh, if he ever played for an American coach, and he's like no and but I wouldn't have minded because I speak the language. <laughs> these two have such great interactions throughout both seasons. Um, you know like when they're talking in the second season about it's just like oh time's running out and he's like well only if you think of time as a linear thing Arlo and he's like yeah I do. <laughs> <So> <laughs> if these were the commentators for Packer games I would absolutely love it. Um, but um, but so the the game doesn't go very well but they do call out Sam's great defensive play. Um, And, of course, Jamie scores a, you know, injury time goal that's pretty meaningless, as they say. That doesn't seem to faze him that the announcers call it a meaningless goal. Um, But I do love, though, again, though, that when Ted brings him in to take Keely's advice and give him some positive reinforcement, man, he is very caught off guard by this because he's like sitting on the desk. He's expecting some kind of, you know, beratement, I'm sure, because that's what he's known from his father and from growing up. And he literally is just like, Ted gives him this amazingly sincere compliment and Jamie kind of doesn't know what to do with it. He just stands up and everything. And he's just completely, the guard just drops. And it's even more. uh, So like when they start celebrating Sam's birthday and passing out cake. And for the first time in this whole episode, he looks at somebody offering him cake and he says, no, thanks. This is the first time I've heard Jamie say, or not heard, but seen him say thanks. And there's like this little bit of growth, but of course, Doesn't quite get there. (laughs) He's so damn close. He's not quite ready yet. So damn close. But of course, as he's walking out, Trent Krim, the independent, has to ask him about it, and even though he, he gives tries, a great though. he, he gives a great answer, he gives a great first answer, but he just can't do it. He, he just can't get there. It. He can't get there. And he goes, and of course, this is going to set up the next episode with Trent Krim, but I do love that, though. It's like, again, we're already getting this very complex character in Jamie, um, even though we don't fully see all the seeds uh, growing up yet there. So, I threw a lot of stuff at you there before we get the final scenes here. Like, what do you think of this uh, ending of the game and, and how Ted continues to try and build this team chemistry.
1: Well, I'll say, where is the soccer? This is Ted Lasso. We're supposed to get soccer throughout this thing. (laughs) What is going on with this? No, I do think um, it's great to see that Ted in a loss is just as jubilant as Ted in a win, because what he's trying to do is create a culture here. And it's that whole idea of positive reinforcement, that positive psychology that I've really come to love about Ted Lasso. And that's not to say that we won't get emotional scenes later on where he knows that at that moment, it is time to um, be able to basically commiserate with the team because of a loss. We're gonna get some amazing uh, ending speeches the end of season one, I just showed that to my first year seminar class in college. Like it's so well executed to talk about loneliness and we will get to that point. I'm not going to go on a thing about it now, but he knows that right now, because we're building the team, this is one match. What's better now is to construct this team and to make them feel like a family and not so much to get them down in the dumps and to provide maybe what would end up being negative reinforcement to them. And so it's just classic lasso. It's what, this is starting to, like the first watch, I'm sitting there in my chair or whatever, watching it on my iPad, because I'm sure I got Apple TV for free or whatever. (laughs) And I am like, okay, I'm going to check out this Ted Lasso show. The pilot's like, oh, that was pretty funny. And then you start to get, you start to get the characters here and you start to get a bit of the team philosophy that Ted Lasso brings. And this is where it starts to grab me. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm, I'm not fully grabbed until uh, episode five. I know episode three is where they got you fully uh, Jeremy. So you were on board before I was, but, but still like, I love to see the building blocks of what he's doing with this team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And he's a good coach, man. He really is. He might not know as much about football, English football as, as you know, he does about American football but like he is a fantastic coach and all the best coaches like you will find one universal thing which is they build up the people before they build up the skills and that is definitely what he's doing here and it's great to see Um, I I will just call it real quick as our ending we didn't get a lot of Higgins in this episode but I love like he has this line of Rebecca when she's talking about Ted wanting to get to know her and he's just like the nerve and I just absolutely love that from Jeremy Swift but seeing him dance at the end with the team is just so great especially if all you've ever known of Jeremy Swift is his work on like Downton Abbey or something like it's just it's so amazingly fantastic Um but of course our ending here we get this amazing juxtaposition of ted and rebecca as our hero and our villain um both of them in their kitchens um one doing something very selfish which is setting up a ruse of sorts to try to damage ted and the other doing something selfless in ted baking the biscuits where you know the whole episode you know uh, rebecca's trying to find where he bought these biscuits and it never even occurs to her that he's taking the time to make her something that he's putting in the care and the love to do something for her like this is such a foreign concept to her. It never even occurs to her that he might be making them himself. Um, But of course, even though Ted has laid on the charm and laid on everything in this whole episode, Rebecca still continues to make the choice because of her hurt. Because as she's trying to decide whether or not to release these photographs, She looks up at the screen and there's another news report on Rupert and his latest woman. And that's when she says do it um, and throws the army man um, over on the floor. So, again, she still cannot let go of her hurt and the personality that that has turned her into. So I do love just that juxtaposition of these ending scenes here.
1: We just need to, she just needs to find hunky Luca a yeah, little bit man. earlier than a she little did, bit earlier. right? <laughs> um, and no, but uh, it is really good juxtaposition seeing them both in their kitchen as well and seeing what's going on at the exact same time. You presume mm-hmm. that uh, Ted is making her the biscuits and then uh, Rebecca is throwing away his army man, which as a Ted Lasso fan, I kind of forgot about that uh, scene a bit. And I was like, Ooh. Yeah. Oh come on, Ted no, gave no. you that. Like no, no. I you, you should hold this in a place of honor. This should have a shrine to mm-hmm. dedicate it to itself, especially because she's the first person that gets an army man, other than Sam, who... Uh, of course, of course yeah.
0: Have, <laughs> because he doesn't quite have
1: the same <laughs> affinity for the American military that Ted does. Which, so. is, a
0: great, which is a great line, but you're right though, uh, it is interesting though that Rebecca holds on to this thing, you know? She doesn't throw it away when he gives it to her in the office because that's where he's actually comforting her and telling mm-hmm. her it's going to be alright, you know, and all this stuff. So she keeps it, but again, she just can't get past her hurt. So, um, this is a great episode. It sets up so many things um, and I, I I do love how it's going to pay off in uh, episode three too because you're right they did release these first three episodes as a block um, when they first released the show um, and so it's good to see how this kind of all develops into one big cohesive thing to set up the show um, but Craig it's the end of an episode of peanut butter and biscuits you know what time it is
1: uh, is it do we hey Larry come on out here yeah
0: yeah come, come on, on out, out man uh, do, you have, do you have anything to say <laughs> Tedisms. For each week we share biscuits truth. That's right, everyone. It is tedisms, your favorite part of peanut butter and biscuits. Um, all right, Craig, do you
1: want to start us off here? What tedisms do you have to bring to the table? I have one that he and again I love the coaching of Ted Lasso because I do feel like And this might be slightly controversial to say. I do feel like because we've established how good of a coach he is, we don't get a lot of coaching lines in season two. Mm. Uh, It it deals much more with the characters and building Ted as a a more three-dimensional character. But we we lose a little bit of his coaching in season two. So I love when he's talking to Jamie and he's like, hey, you're one in a million, uh, but if you could take that me and turn that into an us, and he gives this like, it's this... Um, he goes
0: mm-hmm. you know like
1: it's the way jason delivers that yeah uh that it, in and then he goes on to essentially say that you know that be that be magic um yeah, it's like the, and i'm paraphrasing there yeah uh, no he but, says
0: something like the sky's the limit or something Yeah, or there something it is. The like sky's that. The limit. but it's, you're right there's such to a me, sincerity it's, it's not to like that
1: like the the tedism part of it is the like that's the tedism yeah uh, it, <laughs> it is like how he delivers that because it, if you you feel it right? Like it, yeah. it really makes you feel something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's, uh, <laughs> there's so many great like little lines in this that I love um, that are these little Tedisms. I love it where he uh, calls out Isaac for the first time. He says, look at Isaac. He's like a Rodan sculpture in cleats, <laughs> which I just absolutely love. For those of you who don't know Rodan, the famous sculpture of the thinker um, was one of his. Um, but uh, I just absolutely love that because it's like, what what football coach knows about Rodan? <laughs> you know, like I just find that so fantastic there um but there's also one that he says uh, to Nate when he's on there um when he looks over at him he's just like hey Nate and Nate looks at him he's just like "Wait, you mean me and he says yeah until we get another Nate around here I'm gonna need you to assume you're my default Nate <laughs> which is just fantastic I love the writing on this show you got some more man
1: I, I love the um, I'm not sure if you know how psychologically healthy that is. Yes, <laughs> I love that. I love that bit. Oh, uh, and well, I mean, you
0: got to say the line that precedes it, which is like, "Coach, I'm me. Why would I want to be anything else?" With,
1: again, Phil just delivers it so beautifully,
0: and it's because it's literally just like, "No, I'm I'm gonna be Jamie. Like, what? What? <laughs> I don't care about anything else."
1: And then, of course, uh, we get the goldfish quote.
0: Yeah, we, we get
1: to establish. Uh, the the philosophy the you write this on his epitaph of uh, Ted Lasso you write be a goldfish that's how we finish things out and you get that here with Sam right now in episode two it establishes that moving forward um, and I love it he asks him you know what's the animal with the shortest uh, uh, memory and yeah a goldfish well right? and, so- and
0: you're right it's a it's a quintessential thing in sports that. You know you have to have a short memory, especially playing baseball, because you're going to give up a home run. You're going to give up things. You have to have a short memory and just act like it never happened. Um, and so that's that's really you're right. It's just great coaching uh, from Ted there. Um, I've only got a few more here. <laughs> I just uh, absolutely love um, the way Jason delivers this line when Nate um, talks about making the box, and he's just like, "Oh yeah, I love glimpses into your personal life," <laughs> and it's just again so sincere. Um, but uh, I, I'm going to end with uh, Hannah's there, but he does again call out his distaste for tea because he's like, uh, well, that's the first time we disagree. Nope. Second time. Tea is still horrible. Absolute garbage water. I don't know why y'all do that. <laughs> I, just love the, I don't know why y'all do that it's just fantastic but again my favorite quote from the episode is from the panda lion debate when Hannah and Rebecca she just cannot believe that Ted would want to be a panda she's talking about how they're fat and lazy and I believe she says they have piss covered fur um, which is fantastic but she's talking about lions and then she looks at her he's just like what's black and white and red all over and, and Ted is just so giddy he's just like what and she says a panda that gets anywhere near a fucking lion <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> Hannah the delivers the line so perfect because i'm right there with ted i'm just like ooh, i want to know what the answer to this is too and it's just it catches you so off guard and it immediately makes you love rebecca like, it's just yes, like that's hilarious that's just really yeah. well done and you can yeah. see that little that little bursting through there um and then my final one higgins getting his game on man Caesar, you later ted bursts through the door and he's like yes and i just <laughs> love the camaraderie building with ted and higgins already
1: Oh, you gave all so many good ones uh, throughout this episode. And like I said, it it establishes so many moving forward. But I have not a tezism necessarily, but I have a question for you, Jeremy. And that is first concert, best concert. I think we got to end on that. Oh, no. Um, First of all, while you're thinking, because... The gambler himself, Kenny Rogers, comes up. I have a Kenny Rogers story I want to share with our audience. Oh, there you go. So in high school, um, Kenny Rogers is coming to play at the market, the Quad Cities, um, later named other names. If you go and Google that, it's not going to show up. But just know, for me... Uh, it's never going to be a corporate bought out name. It's always going to be the mark of the Quad Cities named <laughs> after Mark Twain himself. There you go. Anyway, so we're, we're singing a Christmas concert with Kenny Rogers and <laughs> all of us, you know, we're excited because we're like, oh, we get to perform at the market. Like we have no, we have no consideration of the fact that we get to perform with Kenny Rogers that doesn't like we're high schoolers. We don't care. <laughs> so we're back in the dressing room and we walk by, uh, like we're walking from like one area to the next. And this guy walks by, and he does look rather well made up. And he he like halfway through it stops, and he's just like, "None of y'all are gonna say hi to Kenny Rogers." <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> it was so funny because Dude. none of us had any clue what he looked a like. Personal connection to Ted's uh, first
0: concert, man
1: oh man so i got to perform on stage with kenny rogers and i met kenny rogers briefly and i had no clue about any of it but um i will tell you do you have your answers or i could go it's up to you
0: Yeah. so first concert was so you know my mom dragged me to some concerts when i was younger but i don't count those the first one i actually made a choice to go to was the wallflowers um right after their first album released which was A very good concert, man. That was a great band. Uh, Bob Dylan's kid. He knew how to write some songs. Um, Best concert, though, (laughs) it's probably a tie, and I don't want to do that, but they're they're two very strange uh, concerts that I'm going to call out here. So... Maybe the best one, the best time I've ever had at a concert was Weird Al Yankovic. And I'm not kidding oh. about that because <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, like I knew I was a huge Weird Al fan. I still am. Who Who isn't? Um, but like the amount of costume changes, it was like Cher or Madonna on steroids. And he was just so energetic the whole time. A great concert. And it was followed by the Foo Fighters. So that was a kind of a great concert uh, by themselves. But um, I want to give a special shout out to this band that I saw at the Decatur Celebration a long time ago. Like, five, seven years ago, something like that. They were a funk band called Here Come the Mummies. And they literally, they were a funk band that dresses up, like, in mummy bandages. And they do just, like, really hardcore, like, 70s and, like, late 60s funk music. And I've never seen a greater amount of people dancing their asses off in my life. Like, this band is fire. And it looked like when they were doing that in about, like, 105 degree humidity, they were probably on fire. But it was absolutely (laughs) great. So those are the ones I'm going to call out. What about you, sir?
1: First concert, are you ready for it? Oh, yes. Hit me, baby, one more time. Britney Spears. Britney (laughs) Spears was my first concert. Uh, It was... Remarkable! Nice. It was amazing. Yeah, uh, it was also at the Mark of the Quad Cities, by the way. And then my uh, the best concert. I have a hard time choosing between two. So my brother Scott, uh, he really got me into Less Than Jake, and we saw this show in Iowa. And the uh, the headlining band get this the headlining band was Less Than Jake. The opening act was a little-known band from Chicago called Fall Out Boy. Right. <laughs> uh, so that was a fun concert to kind of like see their growth into like mega stardom, and of course, like they became so much bigger than less than Jake <laughs> ever would become. But then I think probably my real answer, uh, because I absolutely love these bands, uh, we had a chance. My wife Anna went to Iowa State. They have a great venue there called the Machine Shop. And uh, the M shop hosted a concert with Matt Pryor doing the new Amsterdam's, mm. which him mm. and that. So he's for the lead singer, the get up kids. He's kind of got this old and signed project called the new Amsterdam's absolutely love that album. If you like Ted Lasso, listen to the song hanging on for hope by the new Amsterdam's right now. I mean, not right now, listen to the rest <laughs> of our episode yeah. and then listen to it. <laughs> um, and then uh, also may uh, played uh, as well and nice. i love may and that's so a hell of a concert yeah it was it was a hell of a concert it was great so i would say that like i know i gave several answers there but i mean come on you, you go to concerts because you love them right yeah, i love britney too
0: hard. hey hey my, i went to in sync the no strings attached tour which is great with season two context bye, bye, i bye, know bye. because watching <laughs> i watching them do
1: that dance in season two i was like Ooh, I know that dance still. <laughs> Which is... You know, what's funny is like uh, that song is not necessarily like if you listen to the lyrics, it's like, why did they choose that song anyway? Yeah, no, who knows? Uh, <laughs> well, Hey, you know what? That's a
0: perfect question for our audience, dude, Write in. Tell us your first and best concerts,
1: people. We want to know. Them. And best concerts, we want to read them uh, next week. We absolutely want to know. Also, if you're from the UK, Tell us if that burrito of cereal <laughs> burrito. is actually a thing cereal Do all burrito. that you can uh, write us in at frontrowlasso at gmail.com. You also can follow us on Twitter, pbbfrn. FRN, check us out there and give us your, uh, you know, definitely let us know what your first concert was and your best concert. And we will share those on next episode. You know what else we're going to share on next episode? What? This might be breaking news for Jeremy Geckner. Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> breaking, breaking news. I don't know if you have like a little like crawl that can go around with breaking news. Oh, sure. We'll, we we'll do a nice little
0: do, 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 do thing
1: here. Uh, we will have our first front row network host joining us. We are gonna get classy with Trent Cram, and we're gonna bring Brandon Davis Woo! from our front row classics feed over to this show. And I am excited for you guys to get introduced to Brandon Davis if you don't know him already. Mm. Uh he is just so great at classic film, and he will be joining us. For episode three, Trent Cram the Independent.
0: Literally a cornucopia of movie knowledge
1: that nobody. Between the two of you, honestly, (laughs) I just feel so dumb. So that's why I'm going to host. I'm going to host next week. There you go. And then that way I can just kind of like sit back in the corner and I can listen to you two. You'll be like, well, actually, Trent Crimm <laughs> is a reference to the newspaper men of old in, in this film in 1937. Trent Crimm uh, uh, really Hawkins. That yes. Newspapers were like this. Huggins, I don't know back that accent, to the I don't know old what that Charles
0: Foster Kane persona of uh, Orson Welles fame. Yeah, something like that. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Uh, It'll be great. Uh, We're excited to have Brandon come on the show next week and excited for you to listen. In the meantime, Brandon's had a heck of a lot of shows. My God, people, he's interviewing crazy people at all. Check it out.
0: He is interviewing a crazy amount of amazing guests. The guy who literally founded the Kennedy Center Honors. I mean, come on. He just did that. Lucy George Arnaz. Jr. He just interviewed her. Lucy Arnaz, her? yeah. Um, that movie was coming out soon with Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem. I believe she said she would come back for that. So um, tons of crazy stuff. So, again, Ted – <laughs> I called you Ted again. I'm just going to start calling you Ted, man. I, um, I'm,
1: I'm here for it, Beard.
0: Yes, there you I'm, go. Hey, I'm good with that too. Uh, hey, that's how they drew us, right? All right. Um, so, again – Call us, uh, not call us, uh, email us in and give us your first and best concerts. We'll read them next week. Uh, we got to get out of here, man. We've been talking for like an hour. Um, we've enjoyed spending this time with you. Uh, for Peanut Butter and Biscuits in NPR, Illinois, I'm Jeremy Geckner.
1: I'm Craig McFarland. And as
0: always, like this episode says, be a goldfish. Be a goldfish. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Front Row Network, a proud Community Voices member of National Public Radio, Illinois. For more from the Front Row Network, including our articles or our other dozens of shows, visit thefrontrownetwork.com or mprillinois.org slash programs slash Front Row Network. You can also find us on social media by searching for the Front Row Network on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Front Row Reviews with a Z.